You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. With that being said, we are continuing our series this morning on humility. Uh, And I have to be honest, I'm glad that I have the opportunity to share on this topic because I think I am the most qualified person to talk about humility. So if you're looking for someone to teach about humility, look no further. If you're looking for an example of humility, of meekness, of gentleness, here I stand before you. My life verse is even a passage in the Bible, uh, and this is true. It's, it's a passage in the Bible about humility said to be written about Moses. If, if anyone asks me what my life verse is, I tell them, look how Moses describes himself in Numbers 12.3. This is what it says. Uh, the passage says that Moses was a very humble man, more than any other man on the face of the earth. Quote, Moses. Right? Man, put that on a poster. I love it. Hang that in my office. But humility is a funny thing, right? Because as soon as you admit you have it, it almost disqualifies you then from having it, right? Like, like as soon as you realize, like, woo, I'm growing in humility. Like, poof, it's gone. It disappears. And it just vanishes into thin air. Unless maybe you're Moses, I guess. Um, But so far in this series, we've talked about this dichotomy that's existed between humility and pride. And Pastor Ben, he shared this popular quote uh, from author C.S. Lewis these past couple of weeks to give us uh, just a sense of what true humility is. And this is what C.S. Lewis says. He says that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but rather it's thinking of yourself less. And so last week, uh, after sharing about humility two weeks ago, Pastor Ben shared about the other end of the spectrum, and he talked about pride. And I so appreciate uh, that Pastor Ben, he set up his message by challenging us to think of ourselves as the proudest people in the room. Because honestly, if we really think we don't struggle with pride, that might actually be a sign that we struggle with it more than we think. I also appreciate how Pastor Ben discussed how pride is one of the most easily accepted and uh, easily dismissed sins in the church. You know, if we know someone who is prideful or struggles with thinking they're better than others, we're easy to forgive them or, or we, you know, never consider to hold them accountable. But, you know, if we know someone who struggles with sins like pornography or embezzling or abuse or addiction, we would be quick to throw the book at them. You know, one of the reasons that's true is because um, being proud, it's not only legal in our country, But it's a trait and characteristic that we actually celebrate and reward, right? You know, this is something we're going to be talking about. Um, And if you want to open your Bibles with me, you can open them this morning uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But we won't be talking this morning about the divide between humility and pride, uh, but we will be looking at a different dichotomy that is directly connected to them. Um, We'll be talking today about the divide that exists between love and knowledge. And so some of you might be asking... But Bobby, like, what do love and knowledge have to do with humility and pride? And how are love and knowledge, how are they two opposing ideas? They don't seem to conflict at all. Um, and those are good questions. Those are, you're asking the right questions, and we'll dive into that in a little bit. But let's take a moment, and let's jump into our scripture today and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And this is what it says in verses 1 through 3. It says, Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Can we say that? This is going to be the main verse we highlight this morning. So let's read that underlined piece together again. 
Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Man, you guys are so good. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So what are the differences between love and knowledge? And and what can we do in order to grow in love and build up others instead of puffing ourselves up with knowledge? Before we move on, I just want to take a moment and just say that learning and knowledge, they aren't inherently bad things. And and in Corinthians alone, if you read the whole letter, the writer Paul, he talks about uh, knowledge a lot as a gift of the Spirit. So knowledge, I just want you guys to know right after that, it's a gift from God. However, a problem happens when we focus more on the gift rather than the giver. And problems arise when we focus on the gifts of the Spirit rather than the fruit of the Spirit. This is one of the major topics our scripture is getting at. It's our first point this morning, that we need to focus on fruit rather than gifts. See, the people of Corinth, they were putting their own accolades, their own rights and freedoms, their own talents and gifts ahead of everything and everyone else. And so they were using what they knew about God as an excuse for why they weren't being loving towards people who weren't as smart or as faith-filled or as wise as them. So they saw the gift of God as something that was to fill them up, and they almost ended up being bloated, full of knowledge and malnourished. And I almost think of it like they were on a diet of chocolate, and they were in danger of um, sickening the entire church. And so this is a challenging passage to wrestle with. And I'm going to be honest, uh, this is a hard text this morning for me to preach on, just like last week was a hard text for Pastor Ben uh, to preach. And it has taken me uh, a lot longer than usual to write about this subject. And and I didn't really know where to begin uh, because it's something that I wrestle with pretty regularly. And... um, It's not only that, but it's also a passage that in my past, it was used in an abusive way uh, by leaders and by pastors, that they would use the scripture as a way to silence differing or opposing opinions uh, from others so that they could maintain their power, so they could have their authority. You know, don't question what they teach or, or how they teach, just focus on loving people. And so I almost felt like an explorer. I felt like Indiana Jones having to chop away all these differing thoughts, like there are weeds festering in my mind. And I really had to clear a path in order to see what God was trying to say in this text. But Paul, he talks often in Scripture about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And, and the gifts of the Spirit, there are these supernatural gifts from God that, that might be used in certain instances or, or certain periods of time. And, and someone may give a specific word of knowledge for a specific person or place, or they may speak and give an interpretation in tongues or, or another gift of the Spirit. So these, they're temporary gifts, and they're used in specific situations. But the fruit of the Spirit of which love is is the top one uh, mentioned and named. These are traits and qualities. They're grown and they're nurtured in those who follow Jesus. Because they're grown, think like fruit are and not given like gifts are. Those of us who follow Jesus, we should be growing, uh, we should slowly be growing more and more loving each and every day. And the fruit of the Spirit also, think, unlike gifts, these These fruits are a part of who we are because we might not constantly have words of wisdom or knowledge. We might not, you know, uh, have a direct line with God at all periods at all times, but we are expected to constantly bear the fruit of love. 
And so this context of love and knowledge that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it reaches this climax later in chapter 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, uh, you might be aware of it. It's the infamous, you know, love chapter of the Bible. It's, it's ones that's often read at weddings. Uh, it's on mantelpieces, and it's actually, you know, on clothing and things like that. Uh, exhibit A right here. And believe it or not, it was funny. Uh, my mother-in-law came to visit this week. And uh, this was a gift from my mother-in-law. She had no clue that I was preaching on this, or that I was teaching on this. And so when I shared with her what I was preaching on, she's like, man, do I have a gift for you? And uh, I love it. It's great. It, it was the perfect thing to wear today. I didn't even have to think of uh, what my outfit would be today. But, um, but, you know, this is even one of those scriptures, 1 Corinthians 13. It's one uh, that we might even know in part, or we might even be able to entirely quote. And we didn't even know it was in the scriptures but sometimes we focus so much on what it says about love that we miss what it also says about knowledge and the other gifts of the Spirit. And sometimes we also fail to see how this chapter about love, it's actually smack dab in the middle of two other chapters that deal specifically with the gifts of the Spirit. And so Paul, he's really trying to do a, a, a contrast here between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And so listen carefully. Uh, this is the opening of 1 Corinthians 13. Listen how it contrasts these ideas. In verses 1 through 3 it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have, what if I don't have love? I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all what? Knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast that I do not have love, I gain nothing. So Paul, he stops mincing words at this point. And, and here we can see that we can be the smartest, we can be the most talented people in the world, and it's all worth nothing in the kingdom of God if we don't love others. That Paul goes on even further to explain how knowledge and the gifts of the Spirit are temporary, but how our love for others is eternal. It says later, starting in verse 8, it says, Love never fails, or like my shirt says, ends or disappears. Literally in the Greek it says that love never falls to the ground. It's an idiom, and so that's where we get all these different ideas. But love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is what? Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we what we know only in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And then in verse 13, at the end of the chapter, it ends by saying, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so we won't need supernatural knowledge when Jesus returns. We won't need gifts pointing to the kingdom of God when the kingdom of God is fully present here on earth. You know, in our faith, one day it will be made sight. Our hope, one day it will be fulfilled. But love, love is eternal. We'll always need to love one another. But what do we focus on in school or at work or in the church or, or, or around our friends? What does our society tell us is important? Because we may spend hours as a teenager trying to improve our jump shot or our free throw, or we might spend hours a week practicing the trumpet or the saxophone or on homework with trigonometry, but how many hours do we spend practicing and growing in love? You know, how many jobs give us a raise if we bring in better numbers? And then how many jobs give us a raise if we're simply just great at loving our customers and being loving coworkers? 
You know, in bosses, they'll be really quick to sit you down if you fail fulfilling your job description. But, but many of them, they'll actually reward you and praise you if you swindle and cheat someone out of money in order to bring more revenue to the company. Because our jobs and our schools and our sports and culture, all of them focus on gifts instead of fruit. And, and so do we end up doing the same. But we need to be people who focus on others instead of ourselves. That's our second point this morning. Because, man, uh, let me be honest, it's easy for me to be so task-oriented that I forget about people. Uh, It's easy for me to focus on my gifts and my abilities and let people know that I'm the smartest person in the room. And uh, part of pride and part of insecurity, it's trying to prove to others that you have the authority and the knowledge uh, to speak or to teach or to lead or to even maybe sometimes be someone's friend. And so I hope you know that I personally uh, tend uh, to default to, uh, to over-focusing on my talents and gifts instead of focusing on others and, and loving other people well. But when even considering uh, what to preach this morning, and, and me and Pastor Ben talked about this, he gave me permission to share it, and we were actually laughing about it after the fact. Pastor Ben even suggested that I teach on this subject of knowledge and love, not knowing that I was thinking of the same thing, uh, because I've dealt with this very tension many times in my own life. And he sat me down, and he was almost like, hey, I think you'd be great on sharing this, since, you know, it's something you obviously experience. Um, and, I, you know, I'm like, uh... Thanks, I, I guess. But like I said, it's okay. I'm the most qualified person to talk about this subject. I, I said that earlier. Um, but maybe now I'm starting to realize maybe that's, not the, maybe that's not the best thing. But we can see from our text in 1 Corinthians 8 that knowledge puffs up our own ego while love builds up others. So don't think of it as just knowledge puffs and love builds. But let's actually add what is intended here, that knowledge in this context gives us a false sense of self-worth, while love is what actually builds us up and others up as well. You know, Pastor Ben, he said this a few weeks ago, and it really stuck out to me, that people who visit church, they're looking for a friendly church. Uh, But then after about three weeks, uh, they don't want a friendly church anymore. They want actual friends. And I think this is one of the big differences between thinking of others and thinking of ourselves. You know, when we're thinking primarily of ourselves or only our family or our household, we might be friendly people. That doesn't mean we're good friends. You know, friendly people, uh, they sometimes see others as commodities or almost as like they're goods to be consumed. You know, friendship for them then, it's something that is more like a transaction than an actual true friendship. You know, if people can't benefit us or our lifestyle or better our family, there's no need to be friends with them. You know, friendly people, they sometimes only value people for how they can make them better. And so these people, they actually have friends, and they're nice and friendly people, but it's from a position of selfishness. It's not from a position of love. And people who are friendly, they often don't invest in a relationship themselves. So uh, the only time they'll reach out to you is, is whenever they need something from you. And people who are only friendly, they also never talk about anything real. Uh, They never get vulnerable. You know, they might talk about sports, they might talk about weather, they might talk about their kids, but they don't really actually share anything about their lives. And so friendly people, they might even be really fun and awesome people to be around, but it's only about being puffed up and not about building up others. 
And so I was actually uh, reading a book this week for school. I'm getting my master's right now. And uh, I was reading uh, this book, and it, it, a huge part of this book is about having humility, how it's this essential part of being, uh, uh, this essential part of being in a healthy team or a healthy community. Um, and I love that this is a business book, that a third of the book is talking about humility. And one of the signs uh, that someone is humble goes along with this very point that we're talking about this morning, that people who are humble, they tend to treat every single person, uh, every single individual exactly the same. And this is an important part. It's a very important part of being a healthy community. So how do you treat the wait staff when you go out to eat? How do you treat uh, the women you work with? Or, or how do you treat the administration staff where you're at? How do you treat those with less education or, or less experience than you? How do you treat the people who are younger than you or older than you? And, and how do you treat the Christians who, who might be, you know, a little rough around the edges? And, and I know I've been there and sometimes I'm still there. I'm, I'm a little rough around the edges. But how do you treat Democrats? Or, or how do you treat Republicans? Or, or how do you treat people originally from a different country or, or people of color? How do you treat people who live north of the bridge or in the projects or, or, or from the trailer park? You know, are we only friendly and cordial with people? Or, or do we exemplify love for them and care for them as actual individuals? You know, one of my favorite things that happened uh, from COVID last year was that I actually met uh, more people from our community than ever before. And, and a couple of guys, uh, one of them was here this morning, uh, a couple of them that I'm friends with, we would meet at a coffee shop every week and we would stand outside and catch up on life because uh, obviously we weren't allowed to be eating uh, or drinking our coffee inside. But what happened was that all the regulars from the coffee shop showed up and we would all stand outside. We would be socially distanced, all six feet apart from each other. And we would talk about life and, and what was going on in the world. You know, we would chat about things that were stressing us out or, or frustrating us. Uh, we would share about, uh, you know, each other's lives, about our families, about our neighbors, about our friends. And, and, and some would even share about their kids or, or their pets. Some of them would even bring their pet, uh, pets or they'd share about their hobbies and their jobs. And what was so beautiful about this was that all these people I met were so different. They, were, they had different incomes, different races from different political parties. You know, they were different ages. And, and, and many of us, we had a lot of different opinions on a lot of different things. And, and uh, many people I met, they, they don't go to church. And, and, and some of them don't believe in God at all. And all these things and all these differences, they melted away over a cup of coffee. And I still chat with many of these people. I still chatted with some of them yesterday whenever I'm at the coffee shop. You know, it's easy to be friendly to people or, or to serve them at an outreach. It'll be really easy next week at the end of Summer Bash to say hi to someone or to wave at someone who's here on our property. You know, it's easy to say hi to people as you walk into church or, or maybe even to serve alongside them at a ministry. But it's different to actually befriend and to care about people who are different than us sometimes. It's a lot different to actually strike up a conversation with someone next week and to hear where they're from and to remember who their family is and to, and to create a relationship and a friendship with them. You know, how many people who are different than you have you welcomed into your life? And how many people like this have you let into your home? And how many people have you actually listened to instead of just talked to? Because we do this sometimes, don't we? We give advice to people who aren't asking for it. You know, we feel like we're better or more mature or more knowledgeable about something. And so we offer advice that wasn't being, like it wasn't even being asked for. 
You know, how often have we given advice to people who haven't asked for it? Now think, how often have we asked them for advice or asked them questions or gotten to know them? You know, this is a big issue that's happening in this letter. That The church of Corinth, they've written the Apostle Paul about some of the issues that they're facing. And one of these issues in the church, uh, it, it, it's divided over the issue of eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. And so there are people in the church who were okay eating sacrificed meat because they felt like their faith was strong in the Lord. But there were others in the church who didn't feel comfortable eating this pagan sacrificial meat. Uh, and they were duly saved. And, and it was a little too close to home for them. Uh, you know, they felt like they weren't really honoring Jesus if they ate meat that was also sacrificed to an idol. And so this little thing, this little difference, it created a huge division in the church from those who felt like they were stronger in their faith and those who they felt were weaker. And so the people in the church who were okay eating this meat were the ones who, they were writing Paul and they were thinking that he would take their side, that Paul would obviously tell these people who were afraid to eat meat sacrificed to idols to grow in their knowledge, to grow in their faith, and to stop being so afraid and worried about an idol that isn't even real. It's just a piece of wood. But this leads us into our third point about growing in love, that love focuses on self-sacrifice while knowledge focuses on personal power. You know, I love that. We're at a church full of different people from different backgrounds and ages and maturity levels and even different levels of their faith. And, and some of us, we've been going to church all of our lives. I'm, I get to celebrate in just a few weeks. August 31st, 2003 is when I decided to follow Jesus. You know, some of us have been going to church for a long time, and some of us, it might be our first week this week or one of our first weeks ever attending church. You know, some of us have Bibles that are beaten and tattered and full of highlights and notes. And some of us might not even know that Obadiah is a book in the Bible in the Old Testament. You know, it might be easy for us to think that we're more mature or, or think, you know, we, we end up thinking that we're better Christians because we know more about the Bible. But you can know a lot about the Bible and still be a pretty big jerk. And trust me, I'm speaking from experience here. You know, you might be able to win an argument, but you can lose a lot of people in the process to do so. And you can be speaking the truth, and you can still be sinning if that truth isn't rooted in love. So part of what Paul is saying here is that those who believe they have more faith should be willing to put restrictions on themselves out of love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. I have to admit, this is sometimes hard. This is a hard point for me to remember. This is something hard for me to grasp because it goes against the American mindset of personal freedom and personal liberty and individual rights. And most of us tend to think in terms of personal autonomy because of our American upbringing, that these are my rights and I have the right to do whatever I want regardless of what you or anyone else thinks. Following Jesus is all about having the freedom to lay down our rights and our opinions in order to benefit those around us. So we lay down our rights sacrificially out of love. So we should never shame people for having less faith than us, thinking that it will miraculously change their minds, that they will miraculously have more faith. And we should never guilt anyone for having stronger convictions than we have. See, because these kind of actions, they only puff us up. They only make us feel superior or more important or better than others. And if we truly loved others, we would be willing to lay down our rights for the benefit 
of others. See, this is what ultimately builds up others' faith as well as our own. But man, can we admit, this has been especially hard this year, hasn't it? You know, last week, our church denomination, the Assemblies of God, they had their big annual convention where thousands of ministers, they came to Orlando, Florida, from all over the nation to vote on different issues and have, and they had this big conference filled with inspirational speakers of these big name pastors. And one of the leading pastors in our fellowship, he came from an area of the U.S. It was being ravaged at the time from the Delta variant. All their hospitals were full. And so this pastor, he asked that the people on his staff, that they would wear masks in order to protect each other, to protect those in attendance and in their congregation for when they returned. And, and this pastor, he lamented this week. He was in a forum on Facebook after they returned, and uh, he shared the responses he got, not from Christians, but from actual ministers, full-time pastors of the gospel, that his staff was made fun of, belittled, harassed, talked down to. They, told, they were told that they needed to just have more faith. Some were even encouraged to resist and uh, rebel against their pastor's wishes or or the decision that they were making. And they were teased for being masked up. And and they weren't doing so out of fear, but they were doing so out of love for their fellow pastors, for one another, their congregation, their community. So I just want to say thank you guys uh, for not treating me this way. I wore my mask this morning. I did last week. Thank you guys for not treating me this way, uh, for not treating others this way. I I haven't heard any stories from anyone in our church uh, treating people this way who have come uh, and walked in with a mask on. And and I hope you understand also that this isn't something uh, that's just about wearing a mask, though I hope you can see uh, how it's such an easy correlation, especially in this time and this season that we're in. But we can do this about a bunch of other things as well, can't we? We can do this maybe about drinking alcohol around others who struggle with sobriety, or, or maybe some of us do this regarding the television shows or the movies we watch or recommend to others, or, or maybe we do this about the food that we make or eat around other people, or, or the things that we post on the internet, or, or even our exercising habits and our diets. Do people see you as someone who pushes your rights and your ideas onto them? Or do they see you as someone who's willing to lay down everything, even your own rights, out of love for them? See, this is what love looks like for Paul. And this is what true freedom looks like for Paul in this passage. That we are free to lay down our preferences for the sake of loving our brothers and sisters and our community. So I want to ask you this morning, what do you need to lay down in order to lift others. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning and lead us into one more song. And uh, I want us to ask ourselves uh, this question as well. What, what do we need to do in order to grow more in love? What can we do to focus on building up others instead of inflating our own egos? You know, maybe you've been so focused on your talents or your gifts that you haven't taken a moment to actually look at your character or, or to look at your actions or how you're behaving towards others. And, and maybe you've been in isolation for so long, like we all have with your family, that you've only been thinking about your own priorities and you've failed to think about others. Maybe you've spent years being a friendly person and now God is calling you to be a better friend, neighbor, coworker, parent, or spouse can we do this week to grow in this fruit of the Spirit? What things do we need to lay down in order to better lift others up? The future
future of the church, the future of our country, the future of our community rests on us being sacrificial people who are willing to lay down our own preferences, our personal rights, or, and even our very lives for the sake of our neighbors, our family, and our friends. We can't just be friendly people anymore. Sacrifice is the greatest representation of love that we can show to other people. So let's be people that are marked by love and not by fear. Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to enter into one more song and we'll be done here today. Let's just take a moment and pray and set our hearts before the Lord. Dear Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for your sacrifice, for your love for us. That you are willing to lay down your life. And sometimes we say that we are willing to take up our cross and follow you. And if we're willing to be people who lay down our lives for you, I pray that we would be people who are willing to lay anything down for you, for our neighbors, for our friends, for our family, for our community. times in scriptures. One of the most quoted New Testament passages is to love our neighbors as ourselves. That you even say that more in the New Testament than you do to love God with all of our hearts. And so, uh, God, let us not, in thinking that we're loving you, fail to obey you in not loving our neighbors. And not a, let us not just say that we love in word or in tongue, but let us be people who love in action and in truth. We can say that we love people, but do we really, truly, actually love people? And what price are we willing to pay? To instead of being friendly people, be friends. Lord, challenge us, press in us. Show us the areas where we're being selfish. Show us the areas where we're putting our gifts instead of a fruit, Lord. And I pray that you would just speak to us in this moment. Help us to be people who focus on you. Speak to us now. We give you all the praise and glory as we continue into this time of worship. In your name, amen. Let's just set our hearts before the Lord this morning. The altars are open if you want to come. Let's just take these last few moments and just respond to the message today. Let's respond to the Lord. is without borders. Lord, we follow your lead. We follow your example. Let those not just be words that we say, but let it be something that penetrates our hearts. Let it be something that we really wrestle with, and it's not just words on a screen. If you're calling us to to go where our trust is without borders, then we give up control to you. We give up our lives, we give up our opinions, we give up our rights for the sake of the gospel. Lord, speak to us, challenge us, minister to us, and and, and every step of the way we follow your example that you said to your disciples that no one can have greater love than to give his life for his friends. And so we follow after your footsteps as someone who lived the perfect, sinless life died for us. 
died for your disciples. You died for your friends. And so let us be people who are willing to do the same, to exemplify that love, to lay our lives down for the sake of others. And I pray if there's anyone here who's never experienced your love or anyone here who's not following after your way, or maybe some of us Say we believe in you, but we aren't following after you. I pray that we would make the commitment today that that your spirit would be more present and evident than ever before. That you are calling us to follow you. We follow after you. And in doing so, we take up our cross. We give up our lives for the sake of others. Expose in us, expose in our lives, expose in our hearts the areas where we are failing to love our neighbors. And maybe it means that we actually need to love our neighbors and the people next door. Maybe it means that we need to stop loving people in tongue, but actually invite someone over, let someone in. Lord, how are you asking us? be something that we don't just wrestle with today, but let it be something that we think about tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Let it be something that we don't just um, live out at an outreach like we are on Saturday, but let it be something, let it be part of who we are, that we would be a community known for how we love others. And Jesus, you are calling us, you are sending us out to a lost and a broken and a hurting world and people who respond Uh, to love with hate, people who take advantage of other people. Help us love in the midst of that. Help us to love not just loving people, but unloving people as well. Let us be obedient despite what others are doing. Lord Jesus, we give you all the praise, we give you all the glory, we give you all the honor, and pray that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us as you minister to us and through us. We give you the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, and it's in Jesus' name that everyone says this morning, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us, for being with us today. Uh, Before you go, just one more reminder, we have our end of summer bash this Saturday. Look to the inflatable. We are so excited. There are invite cards out in the lobby. There are ways that you can sign up and get involved, and we will see you this Saturday. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.